Hey, I'm Sean. And I'm Jesse. And, and we're, we're the, the DMs, DMs of, of Vancouver. Vancouver. We're two newish DMs who are still getting the hang of the whole DM thing. So we sit down with a friend every couple of weeks and pick their brain on their approach to DMing. So come along as we figure out how to help our players have the best time possible at the gaming table. Hey folks, welcome to another episode of DMs of Vancouver. This episode we're going to be talking about running games for new players. Today we're talking to Catelyn Bowser. How's it going, Catelyn? Pretty good. How about you guys? Good. Doing pretty well. Um, so uh, tell tell our audience a bit about yourself, like how long you've been playing tabletop in general and what kind of game you're running. All right. Uh, well, my name's Catelyn, as you said. I've been playing D&D for about 10 years, uh, off and on. Uh, you know, life gets in the way sometimes. And I've been DMing for about five years. And currently I'm running a game for completely new players. There's four of them in my game. And it's version five for uh, Dungeons and Dragons. All right. Would you oh. like me to tell you anything about the story? Uh, if you'd like, yeah. I can tell you a little bit. Obviously, I don't want to give away the ending. Um, yeah. It's, I introduced them with a very short game at first something contained so that they couldn't get overwhelmed with too many options so what they're currently doing is i started them off and they all know each other they're inside a castle and they're with the queen and the queen is an orc and she is concerned that somebody has been mind controlling her and making decisions for her and disrupting her kingdom so things have happened people have been like excommunicated from the kingdom and she's not sure why. And so she wants them to get her out of the castle because she assumes the bad influences from within. And so they're there to escort her out of the castle. That's a very cool starting point. (laughs) Thank you. Yeah. And I figured it worked out well because it contains the adventure itself as they're learning how the game works. But when they get her out of the castle, that opens up for the opportunity to take it into other places in the world. All right. Uh, so uh, getting into kind of more into the topic, uh, what do you think the most important thing to remember is when you're running for a group of entirely new players? I would definitely say both patience and reassurance. Patience because they're going to ask a lot of questions. They ask a lot of questions, so many questions, and some of them have nothing to do with anything I had somebody ask very deeply into this barrel. There was a barrel. It had a sauce in it because they were passing through a kitchen. And they asked me about 12 questions about what could happen and what they could do with this barrel of sauce. And all of the rest of the players are looking at them like, what's with you in the sauce? But I didn't want to put them off by being like, it's just a, it's just a barrel of sauce. You should probably keep moving. So you got to be patient. And then I find a lot of them got a little bit concerned that they were holding up the game or that they were causing trouble by not understanding things. So I was always trying to, like, I'm always trying to reassure them, like, it's okay, we can take time to explain this to you. I know, I I know you've asked it 20 times, but that's okay. D&D can be a little complicated. So it's fine to ask, keep asking. If you don't get it, I'll tell you again. If you would rather be playing as a world famous chef, that is okay, too. (laughs) (laughs) To be fair, uh, in the end of the decision, our lovely dwarf decided that she was going to dip her face into the barrel and for the rest of the session had honey garlic sauce on her face because she never wiped it off. <laughs> <laughs> D&D gets weird sometimes. Um, 
So, you know, just a little. I, I love that because it's it's like a very new player, but it's also very like I've had players who've been playing for a decade who do stuff like that. They're just like, "What's this? What can I do with this? I'm going to do this with this." Like it's. Well, <laughs> it was also pretty funny at the time because the other people were also in this kitchen. There were other barrels of things. Somebody had found a barrel of alcohol and asked me for a description. I gave them a description that kind of came off like cider, and they're like, "Can I? Can I dip my water skin in there and take it with me?" And I was like, yeah, sure, go ahead. Uh, that made sense. And the rest of the players were realizing they could interact with stuff in this room, decided they were going to find something that they could dip their water skins in. But Gertis, she was like, nope, this is where my face goes. <laughs> <laughs> so how do you go about helping a, like brand new players create characters? Well, I, I called for help because four players who have no idea what's going on is a lot of players. And so I asked a friend of mine who I also worked with, who is also a DM and has been probably playing for longer than I have. I asked him to come in and sit with us to help create the characters. That way we could divide it up between the two, because when you're starting from scratch and building new characters, people have a lot of questions and they need some direction because they don't totally, since they've never played, they don't totally know what they're building or where to find anything uh, in the book even like when they're reading through, this is how you create the character. They're like, I don't understand where I find this. I don't understand what that means. And so that was one of the things was bringing in help. And the other thing was I made sure that everybody had a player's handbook. Uh, I begged, borrow and, and stole until I had enough of them so that everyone could look at a book right in front of them. How do you find it is for players that are like brand new who have know barely anything about D&D other than it's a game versus people who have a little bit better of an idea of like, oh, it's a it's an RPG and you have stats. Like, how do you find the, the difference between those kinds of new players? Well, I found that even amongst my new players, some of them had no real gaming experience and they were the most interesting. The ones with gaming experience... Uh, through like video games and whatnot, had this idea that there would be rules that they had to follow. And I found the same can be for people who already play D&D. There's, there's rules you follow, there's limitations, there's things that you can do, and there's things that you can't do. But those players that have no idea what's going on, they'll just do anything because they don't understand how the rules work, or even if there are any, because they've never done this before. And they don't totally view it as a game because they've never sat down at a table with dice and a piece of paper to try and talk their way through something. Right. So they, they just don't have those walls there that some of the other players had from playing other games or players that I've played with before I've experienced them be like, Oh, I can't, I can't do that. Okay, cool. So getting back to character creation, uh, a little bit what was, what was the process of that like like did you just hand them the book and like oh look through that and, you know see something you like or how did you approach that uh well me and the other dm both started by asking them some questions we asked them things that were like very simplified versions of what character classes can be so do, do you want to play something that like throws spells from a distance has magic or do you want to play something with an animal companion or do you want to play something that hits things aggressively in the face and so we started with that to try and direct them towards classes they might want to play instead of being like, here's the book. These are all the things. Read it all. Because that's like <laughs> handing somebody the terms of service. Ain't nobody want to deal with that. <laughs> so 
<laughs> uh, so we narrowed down towards a couple of classes that, like, uh, we did have somebody who said, yeah, I want to hit things with a sword, but it would be cool if there were spells as well. So immediately, my uh, my other DM friend was like, you want to play an Eldritch Knight? Probably. Uh, so we described the class to her, and she's like, yes, yes, that is what I want. And a lot of them, it was pretty easy when you offered them things. They would they would latch on to one thing or the other, and then you knew which direction to take them. So even when they had no concept of how D&D worked, something would sound better to them. So you could direct them towards, okay, this is the class you want to go with. And then we did go through with each of them. Like Neither of us wrote anything down on their character sheets. We were like, this is this is the class you're playing. And so we went through step by step. Like, this is how you start to build it. Like, we're going to start with the easy stuff. Do you have a name? And then we're going to, we're going to roll the stats and everybody pull out their dice. This is, this is how you roll stats for your characters. And then if they got really confused, we would make suggestions like, Oh, well, your character uses a lot of strength. So you probably want to put the better scores here and that kind of thing. So it was like a very step-by-step process. And because there were two of us there, that made it easier. Otherwise, it would have been like bouncing back and forth between four people trying to answer all of their questions at once. I'm curious, what did what did your party makeup end up being like? Because like new players sometimes pick like just the most unexpected combination of classes, and it's often super great. <laughs> well, we had a dwarf barbarian. That was Gertis that I mentioned earlier, who liked to put her face in sauce. Uh, and then we had two druids, which was a funny story, but I didn't want to tell the players no when they both so felt they, they both felt so attached to the idea of druids, they both actually went very different directions with it. And I happen to like druids, so I feel like you can never have too many druids. Uh, and we also had the fighter which had the subclass of the Eldritch Knight. I mean that's a that's a pretty rounded party, actually. <laughs> It worked out pretty well. Yeah. We did also, just because I did want the extra help, we did have the other DM played an NPC, but the NPC was basically non-functional in the party. It could do one thing in combat and was mostly just there to nudge the players if they stopped and tried to, like, pick too far into nothing. Okay. Which they actually didn't do when it came to decisions. And we're like, okay, this is what the rooms look like. This is what the hallways look like. Where do you want to go? They were pretty good at being like, that hallway sounds awful. Let's not go there. Let's go down this one. <laughs> so it turned out the the NPC didn't actually turn out as necessary as I thought it might. Oh, it's always good though. Uh, so how do you go about helping new players learn the rules early on? Like how do you get them introduced into the basics of like the, how the D20 works and attacks and just like the basics of the the ground rules, the structural foundation of what they need to know. Well, I did make sure each of them had the player's handbook uh, so they could look things up because we did have the druids that had the spells and they felt comfortable having the books beside them to look things up. Uh, we also gave them some flashcards with combat options. So these are things you can do in combat. You can, you can attack, you can use your spells, you can ready in action and so like not everything you can do but just some things so that when they weren't sure they could look at it and be like oh yes like i have a spell I, i'm gonna use my spell so that they had that as a reference uh and i mean a lot of board games have that when they have pre-made characters character sheets you flip over the card it's like this is what the character can do in combat uh so i figured that was a good move um and then we 
just kind of threw them into it. I That doesn't necessarily sound like the greatest way to do it, but they were all eager to play, and I knew that the stuff I had set up on early in the game was very simple combat. Like, the first thing they fought was kobolds. And kobolds had, like, five health, so it was just kind of... We got them into combat. We said, okay, so every time a combat starts, you roll a die and add this for your initiative, and that determines the turn order. And so just explaining everything as we went and answering questions actually worked out pretty well um, because they were experiencing it. It wasn't a whole monologue of rules before getting into it. That's, I know that's my preferred way for learning board games and stuff is like, People can explain the rules all they want beforehand, but until I'm playing it and actually interacting with them, it's always that that always works better for me, and I can definitely I definitely see why that would work better with new players. Also, on top of that, on that note, I didn't want them to get bored because they had just spent a long time making characters. We had done it on a separate day, but we had spent an entire session's worth of time making the characters themselves. And there is math there, of course. And I had some players who were not about the math. So I didn't want them to be like, oh no, this isn't for me. And they did tell me afterwards, like from building the characters to the second, like the actual first session, they were, they said that they hadn't been sure totally what they were getting into and if it was going to be for them because of what building the character sheet was like. So I didn't want to drag that out by, presenting them with all of these rules beforehand. I wanted them to get a taste of it before they lost interest. Yeah, I think that's probably the toughest thing for for new players, especially ones that have, have never played uh, like video games or anything like that, is that that creating characters can be be rough because like you come to a session and you're expecting like, Oh cool. We're going to be, you know, role playing. It's going to be fantasy adventure or this science fiction adventure or whatever game system you're playing. And you're thinking like, Oh great. Like I get to have fun and adventure and hang out with friends and, you know, have all sorts of fun. And then you have to sit down and create characters. And it's, I think it's the reason why like sometimes people just go with pre-gens for, for a first session because or like a you know like a quick introductory session of just here's some characters let's just play a game so you can get a feel for it because like I know that there's some games like Eclipse Phase which I talk about way too much but in that game the character creation is nuts you need a spreadsheet to do it properly because there's just so much stuff to calculate <laughs> and that's not something I would want to throw at somebody who's brand new to playing just role-playing games period. But I feel like sometimes with D and D cause I've, I've created a few characters of it. I've been part of like a session zero here and there where we're all creating characters together and I can see how it would help draw people in because, you know, you get to create a character and you get to like figure out how they relate to people. So kind of stuck in the middle as to whether or not I'd actually get new players to create characters, but it sounds like you had a you managed to get through it and at least in the second session they were like once they actually got to start playing they're like oh yeah this is super fun i get it i was going to say i also kind of tripped into getting them to make characters it wasn't my intention i would have loved to just hand them characters and be like this is how you play D&D these are your characters 
but because most of these people were people I was working with and the other DM was someone I fre- who also I worked with and frequently talked to, we were constantly talking about, oh, I made this character that did this and this is what happened in my game. And so by the time we told them, yeah, okay, we, we're going to do this game for you, they were so hyped on it that two of them started drawing their characters before they knew what their characters were, and I just couldn't take that away from them. Like, I wasn't going to be like, oh, you can't make your own character now because, you know, you've drawn this thing with a staff. Like, they just, I don't know, like, a couple of them wanted to be right in there, so I was, I just went with it. Yeah, and I, I think that's always the thing, right? Like, it depends a lot of the time on the context of what kind of game you're running, or if it's like, are you running a one-shot, or is it like, you're going to run one session and maybe they'll see, or have people said, yeah, we'll try it for a couple of sessions. Because, like, if if they're coming over and you're going to introduce them to D&D by just playing D&D right away, pre-gens are probably better. But if, if you're going to try and play a campaign and the people are, you know, interested enough to, like, come for a second time yeah let them make characters it's it's half the fun of the game more so the actual conceptual making the character than necessarily the mechanical but it's a good way to draw people in yeah and it really worked for them like even though some of them didn't enjoy the mathy aspects of adding stuff up uh especially looking at the character sheet i know some of them felt overwhelmed but when I started asking them questions about who they wanted their character to be as a person while they were doing these steps, like they, they, three of them started drawing their characters before the end of the session, like the, the planning session, sorry, the, the character building session. Um, because like I said, there were four of them and two of us. And so there was a little bit of downtime between. And so the moments that we were distracted with helping somebody else, they would be sitting there drawing out what they wanted this person to look like now that they knew what kind of armor they had and those kinds of things. So they really got into it. Um, I, I did also want to add something else I did to help them. Um, I did know I, all of these people before I ran a game for them and all of us worked at the same place. So when people had struggles with some of the aspects of the character, mostly the stats, I, I noticed that was a big thing. Like, oh, what is de- dexterity? I knew them enough to compare it to something in real life. Now, at the time, we were all working for a coffee company, so I compared it to barista things. Like, oh, well, when you fail a dexterity check, that's when you knock the milk pitcher over. And I found that that actually worked to solidify some of those things in their mind when giving them real-world examples of, you know, a dexterity fail. Oh, that's... Or a wisdom fail. That's super <laughs> smart, actually. <laughs> Intelligence is knowing how much caffeine is in a in a drink. Wisdom is knowing you should not have this much caffeine at once. <laughs> Definitely. Wisdom is knowing that three Trenta iced coffees is a bad idea. By the way, I failed some of those wisdom rolls myself. <laughs> okay, so kind of leading into our next question. Uh, what do you find... What did you find that your new players had like the hardest time remembering or getting the hang of at the table? Well, as before, I just said they did have trouble grasping the stats and what those meant. Um, the uh, like I said, I found a way around that. I gave them real world examples. Um, another thing, weirdly, I wasn't expecting this one totally threw me was I had two players who did not understand the dice. As in, I would say, all right, well, take the die that has six sides on it. And they'd be like, which one is that? Every time. 
And so having to patiently be like, okay, it's this one that looks like this. Um, and I just didn't anticipate that much confusion. Maybe I should have. Because uh, I guess it is like a handful of dice that all look different. But I, I wasn't expecting when somebody was rolling the same die to attack every single turn, still being like, which one is it? Which one is it? Which one is it? <laughs> so that one kind of got me. There's actually, um, I found a Kickstarter project a little while ago, and I think they're just selling them now from their site. It's this, I think they're, it's a husband and wife couple, or these two people that made a dice set. It's basically like a beginner's dice set for D and D. And it has, um, it's not just like one of each dice type. It's actually got two D twenties. Uh, like it's got a certain number of each of the dice based on like, how many dice you usually need to roll of that type. So it has two D twenties. It's got a bunch of D sixes. I think it's got like four D fours or something like that. And they're all color coded. So all the D sixes are the same color. All the D twenties are the same color. All the D eights are the same color so that as a DM, like in this exact situation, when you're playing with new players, you don't have to say, Oh, it's the one that looks like this or like, no, don't roll that one. Cause that's the D 12. You need the D eight. And they're like the same shape or, or like, you know, they're mixing up the D 12 and the D 20 or whatever. Like you just go, Oh, grab the, the one of the orange ones and roll that. Oh, that would be perfect. That would have been amazing because from where I was sitting, one of the players, uh, just because of the layout of the table, it was a large table, was always across from me diagonally in a way that I couldn't reach over and point to them for her. And so it was always trying to be like, oh, can you show her which one that is? Or it's the one that looks like this. And being able to be like, pick the blue one would have been great. Because it, it didn't get to me at all that she couldn't remember what they were, but it was just the, how do I explain this to you over the table, not being able to reach you it was a bit of a struggle. Yeah. I I think it's a pretty common thing, especially for people who have been playing tabletop for a long time to be like, yes, the dice are obviously this one and this one. I mean, sometimes we mix up a D 12 and a D 20 when we're not like super paying attention, but like, yeah, new players have a harder time with that. Uh, I think, um, I'm trying to remember what the thing you're talking about is called. It's like the complete adventurer's dice kit or something like that. Yeah, I'll yeah. find I'll I'll find the website and I'll put it in put it in the show notes yeah. because I know Dice Bard has a set like it, but I don't know if it's the one specifically you're talking about. Yeah, uh, and there's probably just as a quick aside, there's probably lots of other tools as well for for DMs who are going to be running for new players who have never played a tabletop game before, because like you said, like some people are going to have trouble figuring out dice, and some people might benefit from having uh, like a somewhat simplified character sheet because there's way too many skills and they need something that's a little bit simplified or laid out differently or yeah, there's all sorts of tools out there. And I just think some people have done an amazing job of like helping their fellow DMs out to get more people into the hobby by making it easier. And that's definitely amazing. There was one other thing, just a generalized sort of thing they did struggle with. And it was just the whole character sheet. (laughs) That sounds crazy. Um, But just like locating things on it over and over again. And I actually remember that feeling from when I was a new player was just looking at the character sheet and being overwhelmed. And so when they started to be like, where do I find that? I was like, yes, I remember this feeling. You have no idea what's going on in front of you. It looks like it's written in a completely different language. So, yeah, I, I had that same problem. I actually use a um, a slight variant of the character sheet that all the skills are grouped up into boxes that so that like 
All of the wisdom skills are right next to wisdom. All of the constitution skills are right next to constitution, all the strength, so on and so forth. So that you're not having like, a, I don't know if the skills are alphabetic. I think they are alphabetical, but it, it's, I find that it's easier for me to say, oh, roll survival. It's in the wisdom section than to say, oh, just roll survival. It's, you know. Yeah, S. <laughs> that, uh, that also does sound really helpful. Uh, just having them grouped like that. I think I saw that character sheet when I was looking for some to print off. I didn't end up using it though. <laughs> Should have. I think the like the fifth ed character sheet. I think a lot of character sheets in general are like maybe not as well laid out as they could be, but that might just be a personal thing for me. I'm actually right now looking into basically buying a digital copies of like an alternate character sheet that I saw online just because it d- appeals to me from a design perspective so much more. <laughs> <laughs> that's fair. I think that's the one thing for any role playing game almost is that. Like even the simplest one that I've played still has a lot going on and it can be intimidating for somebody like it's intimidating for me picking up a new game and seeing the character sheet and seeing like, oh, there's like a bazillion boxes and things to fill out. And I have no idea what any of this does. And it takes, you know, I've been I haven't been playing that long, but I've I've had a bunch of rule books and stuff for some games that I've just never gotten around to playing. So like I've spent all the time to get used to like character sheets and the rules and like how they work. Like it's at this point, it's second nature. Like I can pick up a, a game as long as it's not Shadowrun and understand it really quickly. <laughs> and I can see how for new players, like picking up a character sheet and going, what is this? How does this work? I can see how that's really intimidating. And it is one thing that I think all games could do better is have not exactly like a beginner's character sheet, but just figuring out ways to simplify how their character sheets work. So you don't have to worry about having 30 different stats that you need to keep track of or know where they are. Yeah. I think it's a matter of having more options for sheets available because like a lot of them are very, let's say utilitarian um, and they, they do the job, but they're like often kind of ugly to look at so like having a, something that has like that's designed to draw the eye to kind of the important places on the the sheet would be a nice change i have a funny story about uh the what the character sheets look like i actually had uh one of my new players after everybody started drawing their characters asked if i could print the character sheet off on watercolor paper so that she could paint her character on it <laughs> because she wanted it to be prettier that sounds amazing, actually. I know Haley sometimes just builds her own character sheet from scratch if she thinks she's going to be playing the character long enough because she's not a big fan of how they're designed generally. Yeah, and there's not really a lot of space to draw your character on there if that's what you want is to have it actually on there. Yeah, yeah they always have like a little section, but it's always very small. So when you're starting a game with new players, do you have any... Do you have like a standard scenario for for combat or for like talking to NBCs? Like any standard scenarios that like okay, we're gonna do this thing so you understand how this mechanic works or how the various systems work. I don't really have a standard, but I just try and make sure that for like the the first couple combats, I include a variety of the basic things in there, like. Or, or even just walking through places. I make sure that somewhere in there I include a really obvious trap so that I can be like, they can see it and they're like, that's kind of wonky. And I'm like, yeah, you make 
we want to check it out. And then I can be like, yeah, you found this trap. It's a trap. This is what you can do with traps, you know? And in the combats, I start them out being simple and just try and include basic things uh, so that I can explain, you know, movement and attacks and like maybe a little bit of uh, obstacles in the way. So I don't really have a set way of doing it, but I do keep it in mind when I'm building it to include those things so that I can explain them. Right. And I, I guess just a quick follow-up, like out of the, out of all the various systems in D and D, cause there's big, like there's, there's combat and there's a bunch of stuff in there. And then there's all the stuff that you can do outside of combat, like talking to people, trying to deceive them, intimidate them, or, uh, you know, trying to win some kind of skill contest. Cause you're at a fair and you want to win the big prize. Is there any one system that you found is consistently hard for players to wrap their head around? You mean in terms of like combat versus skills, or do you mean different versions of D and D? Just, just any like like just in fifth edition. Like, is there any one thing in D and D that you found every player has had trouble understanding? I feel like the combat is the hardest for them to understand just because you're layering these rules in with tactics they should use. And there's a lot going on there, especially once you introduce things like attacks of opportunity, uh, which I actually admitted for a little bit just to not get into that until they understood what they were doing. I found that when it came to other things like skill checks in, in like a pie eating contest, that kind of deal, they didn't really struggle with grasping that once they had an understanding of what stats were and like, I actually found weirdly, though, a lot of them really understood the spells very easy because, as I said, I gave them all a player's handbook to work with, and the the ones that had spells, they would flip to the spell and they would read it, and it didn't take them actually very long to understand, oh, touch means I need to be beside them, and a range is how far away, and when it was describing status effects and stuff like that, they knew that they didn't always understand what that status effect meant, but they understood, like the layout of the description of the spell and that I do this and a thing happens to them or I do this and I roll dice. So it was just more the combat rules that all of them kind of had a lot of questions about. And that's where they were most hesitant to do things. They would be like, can I do this thing? Until some of them did jump in and get a little silly. Like I'm going to hit things with my tail and try and get all the kobolds, hit them with my butt, shake it like I do in the tavern. That was the actual wording. <laughs> I was just going to say, I did also have that same player. She was a druid. She turned into a giant lizard, asked if she could eat the kobold. And I was like, you want to you wanna bite it, like, on the arm? No, I want to put my whole mouth over it and all. Oh. <laughs> was, that was a fun time. Yeah, because I just wanted to, like, I was just curious, because your experience was basically mirrors mine of like new players because i've run for just a few players so far but the thing in D that people have had the most trouble with overall is just combat because in in D at least like most of the rules focus on combat and how it works and what you can do and you've got so many options like even if you're not a spellcaster you've got so many different actions you can take in combat like dodge hide use an object like all the different things and it for new players, it definitely took them a little while to understand like, oh, it's not just attacking. Like I can do other things in combat, especially if you're a character who's not great at just hitting things. Like you can be a person, uh, a character who's running around and helping out other characters by tripping somebody or doing something to give somebody else advantage and, and stuff like that. 
Yeah. And that's also kind of why I ended up not telling them no when they did start to do things in combat that in D&D wouldn't actually really be effective in combat. I didn't want to t- tell them no because they would start to explore. Like when I'm going to when I want to try and hit something with my tail. Well, that's not a great weapon when you're just a giant lizard. But get letting them see that yeah, okay, you can you can do this weird thing or uh, giving them other options when they're like, I don't know what to do with my turn because I'm standing over here and my weapon is a mace, you know? Being like, oh, well, you can do this or you can you can ready an action so that when you see it do that, it you can react to it and things like that. Uh, just it It is a process to teach that there are other things that happen in combat other than I hit it or I throw a spell at it. Um, but I did kind of make it a little bit looser so that when they were asking to do things that I generally wouldn't advise players to do, I would still kind of give them a yes, but right. As a a kind of a a standard thing. I think, I think is a useful skill to have even with experienced players to be like, yes, but, but this might not work the way you think it will. So I think you may have covered this earlier, but I just want to make sure. Uh, have you run previous versions of D&D for new players? Uh, no, this is my first time running for a full group of new players. And so previously I had run for experienced players and I had run 3.5. Um, when I knew that I was running for a whole group of new players and remembering uh, other new players playing alongside me and stuff like that, I knew version 5 was the better way to go because I know that it's not as convoluted as 3.5 or Pathfinder. As much as I love the, those version, like those systems to death, uh, I know that version 5 is a little bit cleaner, it's a little easier to explain, and I just knew it would go better. Even like in terms of character creation, you can hand somebody the player's handbook, but I know that when it came to 3.5, you had to hand them a stack of books. Yeah. So. I've been playing D&D for 10 years and like six or seven months ago, I had to make a Pathfinder character and I was confused. <laughs> so I imagine people <laughs> with no, no actual like mooring in like tabletop or RPG or D&D rules would, I can not even imagine how much of a nightmare that could be. <laughs> I was going to say, it was actually kind of an adventure for me, too, because I had played 5th, but I had never run 5th. So there was me ahead of time digging through all the 5th books, and before actually starting any of the sessions, pulling aside the other DM who was helping me out and being like, hey, like, is this still a thing? Is this still a thing? Do we still do this? Because I knew some things had changed, and just having to, like, double-check, like, is this still what you how you do the thing uh it was kind of fun but it was like cramming for a test just trying to shove all of the fifth edition into my head and like ignore the other versions that i had played or dm'd with because <laughs> that's that's something that i think i've dm'd or gm'd a couple of games now like different systems and so far all of them have been more rules light than than D um with the exception of a single session of Shadowrun, which is crazy more complicated. But <laughs> with with the other systems, like I found that it was much easier to get people started because there's a lot less to cover and like you don't have to worry like most of the systems that I've played either have a 
special set of dice like Star Wars, or they only use like, oh, you're just rolling a D100 for pretty much everything, or you're just rolling D6s or stuff like that. You don't have to worry about, you know, six different kinds of dice or and and how that impacts what you're able to do. And I look at a system like Pathfinder, like I've got the beginner's box for Pathfinder and I've looked over it and that's something like I'd love to play Pathfinder Pathfinder at some point because I it seems to have way more stuff like there's a lot more books available for it because it's been out for longer and you have a lot more things that you can do but it's it's intimidating looking at a system like that even as somebody who's been just playing and dming for two years now it's it's intimidating and i can see how that'd be even more intimidating for somebody who's never played a game so i have a question for you because once i started running this game for all new people they started talking to other people and uh we all worked in the same place for a while so they were talking to other co-workers and uh we were located near other places so they were talking to our regular customers Customers who came in and stuff, and I got swamped with people being like, "Teach me to play D anD." Uh, so obviously, I'm just running the one game right now, but I have this whole raft of people who are interested in learning to play. And since you said that you've taught or played other things that had a simpler startup, if I were to start another game, just you know something else if i ended up finishing up this one the people didn't want to play anymore or i wanted to start another game for new people which one would you say is a great one to start with that's got a simplified build at the beginning i think out of the games that i've i've gotten the games that i've played i think like the the star wars rpg would probably be the at the top of my list uh star wars edge of the empire there's also the the star wars one is a little bit weird because they've got like three different rule books that are they're basically different eras and so like Edge of the Empire is mostly you're playing as smugglers and people out on the fringe of the galaxy. And there's one for if you want to play as a member of the Rebellion. And there's one if you kind of want to be Old Republic and Jedi and stuff like that. But the reason why it's, I suggested is that the the way that the dice work is like your character sheet basically tells you which dice to roll. Because you are you have skills that will say, and I don't want to get too deep into this because I just explained all of this for uh, uh, the previous episode that we just recorded. But basically the dice, like you're always grabbing a handful of dice and rolling them. And the dice tell you there's basically a couple of different outcomes. Either you succeed, you succeed really well you succeed and something bad happens. And then like the flip side for that, like you don't succeed, you don't succeed and something bad happens. You don't succeed and something really bad happens. And because there's these like six different outcomes, it, I found that for players, it really gets them into the game more because they're able to say like, Oh, well I tried to shoot at that stormtrooper and I missed, but the dice told me that something good happened. So maybe I tripped him and I'm able to run away. So it was a lot easier for players to get into it versus D&D where like, oh, I rolled and I missed. Okay, well, I guess it's the next person's turn. Like it it drew players into the game a lot more. And from a GM side, when I was when I was running a module, it was a lot easier to and I did also a little bit of a people didn't want to stay on the rails when I ran the module. They kind of went off the rails. I found it was a lot easier to improvise because the NPCs are very simple like you don't have to do a lot of work figuring out challenge ratings and is this a medium or a deadly encounter or anything like that you can really just throw together an npc just with in a couple of seconds or they've got a a deck of cards you can use and just be like yep it's these three guys and away you go and you've got 
the gang members that you're talking to. And if a fight breaks out, you don't have to worry about it because the system is not really all that deadly unless you're facing off against something that you know is deadly. And you, it's much easier to tell if a, if an encounter is, you know, if the, if the players are going to come out of it fairly well, if they're going to come out of it really well, if they're going to come out of it, you know, all with a bunch of injuries, or if it's going to be a really tough fight, like you, you know, ahead of time, without having to do a whole bunch of math to figure it out. Oh, that sounds pretty great. I also have a recommendation now with the caveat that I haven't actually played this system, but I've heard a lot about it. Um, Games that use the Powered by the Apocalypse engine uh, sound like they're really geared towards (laughs) role-playing. And also often the DM doesn't have to roll anything. It's all in response to what the players roll. So it kind of takes one more thing that you have to pay attention to that could distract you from storytelling off. Um, and then there's a whole bunch of games built on on the engine, but that that's the thing I would maybe suggest. Yeah, if you're familiar with the Adventure Zone, the game that they're playing right now, um, the Monster of the Week, that's powered by the Apocalypse. Oh yeah, yeah. So that's a. Uh, I, th- I think they also tend to be generally smaller rule books, and then the the engine is similar over various types of games. So if you're like oh, well, yeah, we played this one that's kind of like a, a Buffy the Vampire Slayer kind of style game. And you're like, well, uh, maybe I want to play something that's like weird, like, you know, a mech game or something like that. But I don't want to learn an entire new rule set. You could, you know, look into a game that's, you know, mechs, but runs on Powered by the Apocalypse. So it's kind of a, your understanding of the rules transfers from game to game. Yeah. I just figured it was good to know because of the interest level I've found and because I've also found, at least with the group I've been running for, that it's really rewarding to uh, run for new players because they, they you kind of get to see the role playing through their eyes again. Like everything is new to them and they get really excited about things. And I had some strange things happen where they they got really excited about what was in the kitchen. They got, they accidentally start, two of them started a rivalry between each other about who could do the most damage in combat, but it was never spoken. It was this like weird glares to the side. Like I'm, I'm looking at you while I stab this guy and that kind of thing. Uh, And just like watching them do this, it was sort of, and watching them learn, it was like playing for the first time all over again myself. So I actually found it was pretty great. And like, having other things that would be simpler to teach would be good too <laughs> yeah and i've i found that the because i played star wars and eclipse phase and i love eclipse phase once you get into actually playing it's a great system it's just that character creation is a nightmare but i found that in systems where they have where the dice rolls are simpler where you're only dealing with like either the specialized dice from star wars or just a d100 from eclipse phase where what happens is a lot more kind of a little bit more storytelling based like the players have a little bit more agency than just you missed or you hit and then you do some damage being able to like get players involved in 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 what happens during combats or them helping you figure out like okay well i succeeded but this really bad thing is supposed to happen so what does that mean it I found that with because I played it with people who had already played D&D and they had played D&D not quite as a video game, but they had been playing it, you know, like, oh, yeah, we're in combat. So I roll or I cast a spell or I do a thing and I'd like they'd have their things that they just did every single time. But as soon as we got into these other systems, they opened up a lot more and they were much more uh, 
they were much more involved in what was going on versus what I saw when they were just playing D and D and just like, Oh yeah, time to roll to hit. Oh, I missed next person's turn. Like I found that they were just more, much more involved basically. I kind of really like that idea of having other things that happen. Like you missed, but something good happens because I've played with a lot of people and I've met my fair share of players who get really angry about missing and having their turn taken away in that manner, like a little bit of gamer rage. So I bet that would sort of diminish that (laughs) just knowing that something still happens on your turn. Yeah, it definitely takes, it softens the edge of like, well, you missed, but you know, the, the best example is in star Wars. Like one of the examples they, they have in the, I think it's in the beginner's box. They're, They're talking about how the dice rolls work. And one of them is like, well, you know, like say your player shoots at, at these stormtroopers that are pursuing them, but they get the like critical success on, on one of the on one of the dice that they roll. So they missed, but they get this really good thing happens. So maybe what happens is they shoot at the stormtroopers and they miss, but it hits this, you know, giant creature in the street that's being used as a pack animal animal and gets in the way and slows down the stormtroopers to give them a much better chance of escaping. So systems like that where it's not just succeed or fail, where there's like gray area in what happens, it's really good for I think all players to at least experience that. So they get a feel for like, Oh, cause I noticed that when we went back to playing D and D my players were much more involved. Like they'd be like, Oh, well I'm, I, I don't want to just hit him this turn. I want to try something else because they'd kind of gotten the experience of like, we, we can do other things. It ha- doesn't just have to be hit or miss. <laughs> yeah. And I, those experiences transfer into fifth ed when you go back to it, right? Like people start thinking, more creatively about how to interact when they have they have experienced other options especially if you let them do that (laughs) but i think this is probably a good place to end it thank you so much for for talking to us uh it's great to hear about somebody who's uh helping get new players into the hobby because i think D &D and role playing in general is just fantastic and i think everybody should play because it's just so much fun (laughs) thank you well thank you so much for having me on and i agree with you i feel like there's so many people out there who don't know what they're missing and there's just so many aspects of it like the improv or or even the tactics in the combat that they might just fall in love with if they tried it and the more people that start playing the more people that might start dming which means that a we get more listeners because they'll (laughs) want to listen to our show and b it means there's more people just helping other players get into it and maybe someday enough dms that i can play in more games (laughs) (laughs) i think that's every dm's dream is that there's more dms so that someday they can play in a game but at the same time it's also so much fun that i don't want there to be too many Um, but yeah, thanks for thanks for coming out. Is there anywhere uh, online that people can find you? If the you know on Twitter or YouTube or Facebook or anything, you don't have to share if you don't want to. Um, I'm not so much of a social media person, to be fair. Fair, yeah, that's totally fine. All right, alrighty, cool. Yeah, yeah thanks so much, Callan. Thanks for having me on. And now we do the ending thing. Thanks to Haley Boros for our wonderful artwork. Uh, our Theme music is Overworld by Kevin McLeod. You can find uh, DMs of Vancouver on Twitter at. DMs of Vancouver, or you can find me at Jesse the Red, and you can find Sean at Sean P. Hagen. Uh, we're also on Patreon. Uh, you get access to episodes a week early, and all the money goes to making this podcast even better. We're trying to save up to get some better equipment, or maybe go to a convention and do some interviews there. We're 
still waiting to see what happens with that. Yeah. Um, if you like the show, you can find it on iTunes, Google Play, or any podcatcher that aggregates from either of those sources. Uh, also, you can, uh, if you like the show, I, we would really appreciate it if you rate and reviewed online and you know shared it with your friends. Thanks. Yeah. Thanks so much for listening. Bye.